1: Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medication, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children in special education
0: are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting to the special needs community. And now, on to the interview.
2: Good evening. My name is Dr. Richard Selznick and I welcome you to school struggles I am proud to be a part of the coffee clutch team and on school struggles we talk about a range of topics including learning disabilities dyslexia special education ADHD and a whole host of other interesting topics that affect your child. I am a child psychologist and the director of the Cooper Learning Center, which is a part of the Department of Pediatrics, Cooper University Healthcare, located in Voorhees, New Jersey, just outside the Philadelphia area. I am the author of The Shutdown Learner, Helping Your Academically Discouraged Child as well as the book called School Struggles and my most recent publication called Dyslexia Screening, Essential Concepts for Schools and Parents. These are all available on Amazon or Barnes & Nobles, and you can learn more about the books and my stuff at www.shutdownlearner.com. The site is loaded with blogs and lots of great information for parents, and you can also follow me on Twitter. By following at Dr. Sells, that's D R S E L Z, Dr. Sells, and on Facebook by joining the Shutdown Learner community page. So, tonight I'm excited to have my guest is Deborah Isaacs Schaefer. So, welcome to our show, Deborah. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Delighted to be here.
2: Thrilled to have you on. Deborah is the founder and CEO. We have a CEO on the line of Education Navigation LLC, a company that provides special education coaching and advocacy services to companies as an employee benefit for working parents. She is also a special education advisor in private practice who has partnered with parents nationwide for over 15 years, focusing on assisting parents of children from kindergarten to college transition with autism spectrum disorders, ADD, ADHD, learning disabilities, and mental health issues. Deborah is a speaker, writer, and parent, and she has been recognized by national autism and human resources organizations. She has also trained several thousand parents on topics ranging from IEPs to parent advocacy strategies to transition planning and college preparation. So pretty impressive stuff, Deborah.
1: Thank you so much, Richard.
2: Thrilled to have you. So tell us a little bit, a little bit about what you do. Tonight's topic we are talking about transitioning, you know, going from high school into college. When you have, we're primarily going to be talking about learning disabilities, ADHD, and if you wanted to mention autism as well, but that's going to be, going to be our focus tonight. So tell us a little, a little bit about what you do and your kind of work.
1: Certainly, glad to do it. Um, The work that we do in terms of education navigation, as you had mentioned, is we work with companies to provide special education services as an employee benefit, very much like you have child care benefits and now you have elder care benefits. We kind of fill in that gap in between to help parents who have children from kindergarten. We actually start in preschool, but we say kindergarten, through the college transition process to help parents understand what they need to be doing during the school years. Because as I always say, we have to get it right in school because school is the child's job. And if the child's not doing well in their job, we know what's going to happen when they eventually graduate. And I got a lot practice, of them.
2: I got a lot of them not doing well in their job. It seems like.
1: <laughs> yes, I know. I, believe me, I've. I,
2: I got a lot of that this, going on.
1: Yes, and in private yeah. practice, I do the same thing. I work with yeah. CEOs, I work with business leaders, and executives, and professionals, and work with them to drill down into the specifics of what's going on with their child. The reality is, school prepares children for life. And we have to be able to get it right in school if the child has a learning disability, if the child has ADHD, if the child's dealing with mental health issues. It could be comorbid situations where they're dealing with more than one thing. It's the par- It falls to the parents to really lead the charge, for lack of a better way of, of describing it. The parents right. need to lead the charge.
2: Right. So let's talk a little bit about... Um, you know, the, the getting ready for college. Um, what I know you could probably s- say that they might want to start in grade school, but let's really go up into high school uh, in terms of this kind of transition. What, what would be your advice if you have a child who has an IEP or a 504, which we will distinguish at some point? Uh, let's say they're in 10th grade, 9th grade, 10th grade. What should a parent be thinking about at those relatively early stages?
1: Okay, can I back it up just a bit and say that according to special education law and school districts and states do it a little bit differently, but really at the age of 14 is when the transition plan component of the IEP kicks into gear. So parents need to be thinking and also talking to their child as well about what is it you want to do when you graduate. Now, of course, you and I both know that you get into college and you can change your major 15 times, but we need to at least get a sense, is the child thinking about college? Is the child thinking about independent living? Is the child thinking about employment? What is the child looking to do, hoping to do? And that needs to be reflected in the child's transition plan. The reality is over the thousands of IEPs that I've seen over the last 15-plus years, very few transition plans get it right. IEP goals are another component, but we've got IEP goals that correlate to the transition plan. Parents need to make sure that the child's transition plan is really targeting not just what the child's aspiring to do, but supporting their areas of need. An IEP goal for a transition plan should never say, Jason will visit three schools. That's not a transition plan. If Jason's planning to go to college, we need to drill down and understand what will he need to be able to do in college. Where are the deficits? Where are the gaps in skills that we need as a school district, as his team, to be able to focus in on to make sure that he's as prepared or she's as prepared as possible to make that transition. So, so what that would be, really starts, well, yeah, like, you know,
0: sorry,
1: now that's eighth grade, ninth grade it mm-hmm. is, is where we really need to begin.
2: So what would be your advice? I'm trying to put myself in the parents' shoes a bit and especially knowing boys, um, even ones without IEPs. If you said to a typical 14-year-old, what are, what are you thinking? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what are your plans? Uh, I, I'm not anticipating a whole lot of response. Uh, now, take a kid who may have some communication issues and they may have a difficult time getting those thoughts across. Right. So what does a parent do who gets a shrug or gets, a, I don't know, or whatever when you, you know, you're looking for some, a sign from the child, as you're suggesting?
1: If the child's not giving a sign, parents can pretty well make some assumptions. They can assume that the child hopefully, again, it depends upon their diagnosis and their capabilities, that the child is going to graduate from high school. We can make that hopeful mm-hmm. assumption. Well, when the child graduates from high school, are the parents expecting that the child's going to be sitting in the basement playing video games all day? Most likely not. So the child's either going to, let's say, go to a two-year community college to be in, or take a few college courses, or the child's going to be looking for a full-time job, or the child's going to potentially want to get some vocational training, or the child may want to have his or her own apartment. Those are skills that we need to be able to teach. It's not just reading and math. We have to t- teach those. And I hate to use the term life skills because life skills in the educational milieu is misunderstood, particularly by parents. Life skills are things like, well, does the child understand money management? They're going to need to do that and understand money management if they're planning to live independently. Does the child have self-advocacy skills? That's a critical component of a child's IEP that needs to be focused in on because the child's going to need to self-advocate with his or her landlord, with his or her professor, with his or her employer, it doesn't matter. Those skills have to be part of the IEP. So I agree with you. Many 14-year-olds have no clue. There are some 25-year-olds who have no clue. But we need to at least begin to plan for what that transition process may look like. One of the other things that parents really need to be aware of is if their child may be attending college, and let's say that decision's not made till 10th grade as you had mentioned earlier or even 11th grade most colleges if not all colleges are going to require a fairly recent comprehensive reevaluation so that evaluation report is really critical and the evaluation report itself needs to focus in on whatever accommodations the child had throughout school and or in high school and what accommodations the child may need in college I see a lot of evaluation reports, very comprehensive psychoeducational evaluations, IQ, achievement, executive functioning, all of it. However, the report doesn't focus in on these are the accommodations that the child is going to need potentially in college. That's the piece that's oftentimes missing. I hope that answers the question. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it certainly does. So now let's say you have done some transition planning and maybe, you know, you're one of the lucky ones that has gotten, you know, you feel like you've gotten some things in the IEP. But what should be in a parent's, what do you think parents should be thinking about? Let's say now they're 10th, or 11th grade and, okay, what what are they looking for and how should they be considering what's out there?
1: In terms of college or just in yeah. terms of life? Yeah, in terms, in terms, of, terms college. of college. Okay. Yeah, because One of that's, that's the thing tonight,
2: like, college transition mostly. That's really what we're, we're focusing in on.
1: Okay. One of the things parents need to be aware of involves testing, SATs and ACTs. Are they going to be pursuing accommodations for testing? PSATs oftentimes happen in ninth grade, sometimes in tenth, and then they take the SATs or the ACTs, you know, usually twice, some parents decide they want to do it four times, which I do not recommend that they do. Right. But let's take a look at testing accommodations. If they're going to be pursuing that, they need a recent evaluation report.
2: So recent the is the last three years,
1: Usu- two years? Correct, usually two to three years. They can't, right. I mean, I've spoken to parents, more parents than I can tell you, who said my child was last evaluated in fifth grade. Well, I don't know about you, but I've changed a lot over the last year, no less over the last, you know, five years.
0: So
1: the child's functioning in fifth grade is not the child's functioning in 11th grade at all. So one thing that parents need to be thinking about certainly is testing accommodations. Then we need to start looking at college applications and and college selection and the college process. You know, one of the issues that is oftentimes asked, and I have my own opinion on this, which I'll share. Is when the student is applying to college, should they indicate that the child has a disability? And my recommendation, in more cases than not, is no. I want the child. Sorry, to be let me let me hold.
2: Let me just pause for one second. You're saying that they should not be indicating on their application Correct. that they have a disability. Correct. Correct. Okay.
1: uh, My recommendation is that the the student be accepted on his or her own strengths and merits. Disability Services Office, which we can talk about in a moment, doesn't really come into play until the child's close to transitioning into college. So I've seen college essays that talk about uh, the child's disability. You know, they have dyslexia, and they talk about what that's been like. I'm not discouraging the student from writing that as their college essay. If that's how they feel they want to be able to portray themselves, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame or disgrace in it. But I'm looking at kind of leveling the playing field. And I'd like the student to be able to, as I said, be accepted into college based on his or her merits. Once they're accepted and then they choose which college they wish to go to, then we kick into the complete other area of what do we do before the child transitions? What are the departments that the parents should be involved with during the transition? What do we do after
2: the child transitions?
1: So that's that's my advice in that regard.
2: There's no. Is there an advantage or dis, do you see an advantage or a disadvantage if they do declare?
1: I I don't see it as either. I do see it as a potentially, while we certainly can't discriminate based on anything, certainly not on disability, my my, my inclination is to say it could potentially work against the student. Because when we look at it, if we look at what's going on today in terms of college and we look at all the research and the articles and the reports, colleges are overwhelmed in terms of their um, psychological services department with students who have fill-in-the-blank. right. I was just talking to a professor at Penn State a few months ago, and his wife works in the Disability Services Office. They have a four-month waiting list wow. just to get in to see someone. So I'm not saying that the student may not need to go to the Psychological Services Department and or Disability Services and or Student Support Services, because in all likelihood they will. But as a parent myself, I wanted my child... My child has Asperger's syndrome, and I wanted him admitted to college based on his own strengths and merits. Once he right. made his selection in terms of where he was going to college, mm-hmm. then we kicked in with disability services and the other services right. o- um, offices.
2: It's sensible advice. Uh, do, on average, and I know it's very hard because you can... You know, let's talk learning disabilities for a second. Do you tend... To, you mentioned Penn State, but do you tend to advise parents to seek smaller uh what i would see as more potentially more supportive colleges versus uh, you know, I'm not singling out Penn State, but just using them as a prototype, a large university, you know, uh, public university. I know every school is required to have some kind of disability services, but it seems to really vary depending upon the climate, the size of the school, that kind of thing. So what is there? Is there kind of an average guidance, you know, guideline to you use for, for kids with learning disabilities?
1: There's no average guidance. A lot of it depends upon the student, him, him or herself you know right. when we kind of start looking at well where do you think you want to go to school there's some of the you know basic questions do you want to be in a city or do you want to be in the suburbs do you want to go to a big 10 school right. or do you want to go to a small liberal arts college You know, once we drill down to some of those specifics, then we take a look at the disability services offices. Some of them are absolutely stellar, and it has nothing to do with the size of the school. Some of the large schools have amazing disability services offices, just like some of the small, highly selective colleges do as well. Um, Parents can certainly get online. You can get information. You can even pick up the phone and not even have to identify yourself, per se, and say, my daughter or my son is applying. But speak to the Disability Services Director or Assistant Director and say, I'm trying to get a sense of the kinds right. of supports you typically provide. You know, due diligence is part of the process no matter what. And that, particularly that's if you great.
2: Have a, yeah, sorry. Right.
1: I was going to say, particularly if you have a child on an IEP or a 504, doing some of that due diligence is, is really important. Parents will get a sense pretty pretty quickly, yeah, I think this might be the right location or school or environment or disability services Office that might be able to support my child, so due diligence is critical in that regard for sure.
2: I, I think that's great advice. So you would you would suggest that they obviously again each school has a different name, but there might like, there will be an office of the student disability services or something like that, correct? Correct. And then so your your suggestion would be that they contact that office and that they ask for the. Director of say of the of that office or you know the uh, some some person who's representing the disabilities office that they can speak to.
1: Correct, absolutely, and say you know I'm in the process, and and again yeah. the, I'm not saying you have to hide it. But if you're not going to be identifying your child or your child's not going to be self-identifying yeah. as a student with a disability, you can say, "I'm, you know, my, my daughter is applying to several colleges and, you know, we may have an issue that requires your support, your office's support. Can you give me a sense of the kinds of accommodations you typically uh, provide? And many of the accommodations as well, they're pretty standard across the board extra time for testing, a separate environment for testing, assistance with note-taking. You know, many of the accommodations are pretty similar, but you can get a sense. And you can also say, what is your familiarity as a, as a university, as a college, and with your professors and support staff regarding, for example, Asperger's syndrome or regarding depression? You can right. you can ask that question. there's no reason not to ask again there's no we don't have any guarantees in life, so we certainly don't have any guarantees. but the more research that the parents do, the better able they will be to help guide their students potentially in terms of what makes most sense.
2: yeah, no, I think that's really really good advice again. I think that getting a getting a sense of you know getting a feel for the school and the tone and and how Warm and accommodating they are, and and you know here's what we do with with Asperger's kids, or here's what we do to follow. You know, I think they that that would make a big. I think that would be enormously helpful for parents, and, and that's it's a really good good suggestion. What happens I, I, to kids? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no,
1: please. I'm sorry.
2: What happens to kids IEP? Let's talk about what happens to their you know they have an IEP in high school this is a misunderstanding out there what happens to the IEP after high school
1: Great question we just did a webinar on this that's basically stating hello college goodbye IEPs and 504s the child's IEP in 504 goes away at high school graduation it's gone it's finished there there is no more
2: however Right so yeah so so there's no I just want to punctuate that there is no for people listening there's no IEP After high school, that does not exist.
1: Correct. It it is gone. IDEA, Mm -hmm. which is the federal special education law, no longer applies in college. However, the ADA, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act, and Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, they do apply in college. So colleges, one of the big differences in terms of K-12, through or let's say high school and college, is high school, if your child if you believe your child may have a a, a, a disability or an issue or whatever, they're required to identify and assess. Colleges are not. Colleges are not required to assess or identify students with disabilities. But they are required by the two um, regs that I just mentioned to provide accommodations for the student. But there's a process. One of the pieces of the process is, a recent evaluation report that also discusses the accommodations the child received in high school and the types of accommodations the child may need in college. So that's where involvement with the Disability Services Office is so critically important. And I'd like to add one thing, if I may. Sure. I encourage parents to speak to their student to make sure that the student is signing a release form in the various offices of, college, of the college to make sure that at least the parents can communicate with the different offices involved. So sign the release form for the students saying, yes, my parent may contact you and you may speak to my parent, which the second part of that is a little hairy, but with the Disability Services Office, with the Student Services Office, with the Bursar, with the RA if they're living in a dorm. Don't make the assumption that because you signed one form in one office, it applies throughout. So parents need to actually make a call or when they're on campus, go into the offices and say, for example, the bursar, is there a form that my son or daughter should be filling out to enable you to contact me about my child's bill, my child's grade, whatever the case might be. That's really important. Something else that I just recently read about and I'm trying to kind of glean some information in terms of research about this, is something called an advanced mental health directive. I don't think many colleges have them yet, but it's something I'm really going to be pushing. So if the child is having a mental health crisis, because right now at 18, colleges don't have to talk to the parents about anything. Parents are often the last to know. Mm -hmm. If there is a, a directive of that nature, Parents have to have it signed. If there isn't, I strongly advise that parents talk to their Disability Services Office or their Office of Psychological Support on campus and say, do you have a directive, do you have a release that I can sign in case my child is struggling? That's so critical, Richard. As I said, I just read about it and thought,
2: my yeah. Goodness. Very interesting. Very brilliant. interesting.
1: Absolutely brilliant.
2: You use the. You mentioned a. You know, like a resident advisor. So, like, if you sign just one form, say, where you think that you've now signed, you know, the access uh, release of information. And then you call the resident advisor to say, I just wanted to find out how my kid is doing. Um, Without having that resident advisor sign a separate form, they might say to you, look, I can't really uh, give you that information. That might be possible.
1: Correct. And what I've heard quite a bit is even with some of the release forms signed, so for example, let's say you've signed a release with your child's advisor. Mm
0: -hmm. The
1: advisor may say, I can't really talk to you, but I can listen to you. So the parent may pick up the phone and say, I'm really concerned. You know, my my daughter has just failed two classes, one of which is in her major, and, you know, we believe there's some issues going on. They may certainly be willing to listen to you. And, again, with that release form, there's a greater likelihood that they're going to be able to talk to you as well. One other thing I want to mention, and I know we're kind of running short on time, in terms of accommodations, some of the things that I encourage parents to think about and to talk to disability services about and to talk to student services about are things that are typically not considered those general accommodations like extra time. Ask about what, who would be the best professors for the child given his or her needs. So, for example, if it's a professor who has a very heavy accent and the child has auditory processing issues, Do you think that's going to be the best professor for the child to be sitting in a lecture hall listening to? Absolutely not. You want to also talk about quiet floors on dorms. You want to talk about are there alternatives to the foreign language requirement. Many colleges now are putting in alternatives. So, for example, you could take sign language versus French. You really need to drill down to understand specifically what are my child's needs where have the, the gaps been in terms of high school? Where are the potential gaps now in terms of college? And where can we build supports? We're, we're really talking about leveling the playing field because we want all kids, irregardless of their diagnosis, to be successful. And parents play a critical role in that regard.
2: Boy, it's... <laughs> I'm I'm feeling overwhelmed as a parent, it sounds dizzying, (laughs) oh my God, you know, like, wow, where do I start, I guess that's where you come in? Um,
1: Yes, where I come in, it's where people who do, you know, what I do or what we do come in. It's really important that parents understand that, yes, reaching high school graduation is a major milestone, and it's not to in any way to be usurped by anything related to what comes next, Yet they've got to step back and say, "Okay, I didn't do any of this in ninth, tenth, eleventh grade. Is it too yeah. late to be doing some of this now? No, it's not too late. You just have what to you, work faster."
2: What do you see the role? We can go a little bit past what well, we, you know, that half hour mark. What What do you see the role of local community colleges, and how do you see that playing out for uh, the kids with IEPs or five hundred four plans?
1: Local community colleges are an excellent entree into higher education for many students for a variety of reasons they're typically smaller which means the classes are smaller they're typically close to home which means the child can live at home many kids and you know this is one of my you know you've put me on the pulpit kind of things that I've been talking about for years just because a child turns 18 doesn't mean they are an adult they are not and there are many many children with a variety of diagnoses and those that may not have any as of yet, who are not prepared for that cut to independence that, right. that a typical four-year college brings. Community colleges are wonderful. I'm a huge supporter and advocate for community colleges, and a lot of community colleges have some amazing disability services offices as well.
2: But and I am as well. I think that that's well said. But. It seems to me, though, that you still need to be doing as much advocacy and some of the due diligence with the, with the community colleges. What do you think about Absolutely.
1: that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if a child starting at community college will be attending, let's say, for a year or two years and then maybe going to a feeder school, they still need to have a recent evaluation report. They still need to discuss what accommodations are in place. I still encourage them to discuss uh, you know, professor, selection of professors, that's really right. important. You know, there may be ten different sections of English 101, but there may be three professors who are particularly good with students who have differences. And that's really important. So parents need to figure that information out along with their student You know, there's a lot written, and I've even blogged about this recently, about all the labels for parents. There's helicopter parents. There's free-range parents. Now I just read about something called, I think, a snowblower parent, which is the parent who, you know, kind of hovers over the college student. The reality is if a child's been on a 504 and or or an IEP in school, they need closer supervision. The parents need to be more involved. They can't just make the assumption that, okay, we made it through high school. isn't this great. Let's have a party or send him or her to Europe for a week, and now we're on to college. College is a huge step. It's not simply one more rung on the ladder. It's like going from one of those little teeny ladders that you use in the kitchen to reach something high up in a cabinet to doing the kind of ladder where you're on the second floor of your house cleaning up the gutters. It's a huge, huge leap.
2: Right, and I – so many of the kids that I have seen um, who who are in who are either classified or have five o four plans, it seems to me that college can be just the nature of it you know with its inherent lack of structure, even though mm-hmm. that you can build in a lot of these you know that you're talking about but there's you know you know the, the reality is there is still going to be a day-to-day uh you know a lot of time on the child's hands to kind of you know there's not going to be a lot of structure and then the weekend comes if they're if they're in an, uh, an over if they're living away from home you know and, and how do you you know build in some more protections or supports for those kind of kids that really don't do well with a lack of structure
1: It starts, as far as I'm concerned, with, again, making sure that the kind of permission to communicate forms are signed so at least you can have some access. It also involves deciding with your your child a level of communication that you're going to maintain. So let's say you decide we're going to be talking on the phone, you know, voice-to-voice, not text-to-text, on Wednesdays and Sundays and two weeks goes by and you don't hear from your child or you can't connect with your child on Wednesdays or Sundays, I tend to be and I firmly acknowledge that I am a helicopter parent. So
2: listeners yeah, I can be laughing impression. and going,
1: yep, yeah, I kind of figured yeah, that much that already. Yeah. If that doesn't happen, That's that's a reason for a flag. One of the other things that I encourage parents to do, while colleges, community colleges not so much, but certainly four-year colleges, they do have – you know, the psychological services support. If you know your child is dealing with an issue that is potentially going to require additional support beyond, let's say, the psychologist or the psychiatrist that they're dealing with at home, start looking off campus for supports there as well. You need to be looking for additional supports. It's not going to be sufficient for many kids to be in a crisis situation and have to wait four days to talk to the psychiatrist that they've been seeing for the last three years on the phone.
2: Have you seen kids who they want to distance themselves from 504 talk and they don't want to, you know, they've had enough of it and mom, leave me alone and, I, you know, I know all these things on some level make sense, but really I want to do this on my own, so let me go. What's, yes, how, do you, how do you handle that?
1: Absolutely. And that also, that particular topic, Richard, also involves medications. I, I'm right. not going to be doing meds while I'm in college. I don't need them anymore. Correct. Okay, so you're going to be stopping meds, but then you're going to have all the social pressures, drinking, drugs, whatever. Um, you're going to have the lack of, of structure, as you mentioned you're going to have lots of free time on your hands. Um, That's a really critical issue that parents need to, to discuss with their student. If their child says, and here's the other piece, if the child is working through disability services and they have accommodations that have been granted, it's up to the student to decide whether or not to give those letters to their professors. They may have five classes, and in three of them, and typically the letters need to be given within, let's say, the first week or week and a half of class. So you've gone to the class, and you've sat in, and it's a small class of, you know, 17 students. And the professor is very clear. You seem to, you know, have a sense that I'm not going to need any accommodations here. The student doesn't have to give that letter to the professor. Conversely, you're sitting in a lecture hall of 95 students, and you happen to be sitting all the way in the back. And the professor talks a lot with his or her back turned away from the student. Mm -hmm. You know what I might need I might need a copy of the professor's notes. I might need a note taker because I can't really hear him or her that well. I can't take notes. That's when the student can decide you know what I'm going to need these accommodations. Mm-hmm. It falls to the student to make that so- decision.
2: In the waning time, tell me—you uh, mentioned a few just then. Uh, is there a way of, in a sense, bullet-pointing um, some? You know, because everyone falls to time as an accommodation. Uh, where a lot of kids don't even necessarily want extra time, but let's just say time, extended time, is a top one. But what are some of the? You know, just to sort of summarize, you've mentioned, you've sprinkled some of those in in our conversation. What are some of the top accommodations that you think people should be thinking about?
1: And the ones that are fairly commonplace in terms of yeah
2: Yeah, you, know, you be, just mentioned a couple, like the note-taking, you know, those kinds correct. of things. Correct. What, what things really time would be ones?
1: one. A okay. separate room for testing would be another. We're going to oh, oh, a separate perhaps room for
2: and, testing, okay. Right, yep. so
1: for example, you, you're going to take this midterm exam in student mm-hmm. services, which is a quiet room off to the <laughs> side, and you'll be able to take it there. Another is advanced registration. Now, registration today is different than it was when you and I went to college, where you had to stand in line and go to the booth.
2: I remember that fondly.
1: Oh, my goodness, I remember it so well. It's not even funny. (laughs) Right. Really, I can remember feeling absolutely overwhelmed at registration. There were 2,000 people in an auditorium Mm. with 150 tables, and I couldn't even remember my last name, no less what it is I needed to
0: do. Yeah, sure. So even
1: with advanced registration that's done online now, the student can have advanced registration access, which gives them, let's say they've spoken to their advisor or they've spoken to disability services, and that's that English class that you really need to get into. If you have advanced registration, you're going to be able to get into that class versus registering when everyone else who happens to have your initial of your last name, which may be W, has to register. Right. Note, note-takers are right. another accommodation. Okay, so wait, so that's,
2: advanced registration and then okay, note, note-takers.
1: Note-takers would be another. How does that
2: work? That's a human note-taker? That's, correct. That's the human sitting by your that- side or are they're in the room somewhere else? How They does the can be sitting by work? your
1: side. They can be sitting behind you. They're t- it's typically a work-study program so that college students who are really strong at taking notes they basically have that as their on-campus jobs.
2: Do you worry about too much accommodation? Are there times we say to yourself, you know, human nature being what it is? You know, I'm sitting there going, you know, I don't really have to take notes. I've got my note taker in the other part of the auditorium. He's doing it for me. Do you ever worry about that?
1: Sure. Uh, absolutely. And that goes to your point of, you know, the student saying, I don't want accommodations.
2: I don't want accommodations. Or right. or too much, much or the kids gliding on too much. Do you worry about a child saying, "Ah, oh, I don't have to bother. I've got my note taker." Worrying about what I have, you know. Do you worry about the uh, accommodating too much sometimes in the message that a child could could get from that?
1: Well, possibly. Yet we're looking at accommodations that typically have been utilized already in school. So it's not like – we're not looking at an accommodation for, you know what, I really don't feel like biking to campus, so could you send me a limo or a cab? (laughs) That's not going to happen. That's definitely not going to happen. But let's say this student does have auditory processing issues, and they've received copies of the teacher notes or the teacher PowerPoint in high school. Well, in college, larger classes, less frequent meetings – they may not be able to take notes. They may be incapable of being able to listen, to participate in a discussion as well, and take notes at the same time. You know, a great tool is a a pen called Livescribe. And what it does is it records the lectures. Mm
0: -hmm. Now,
1: that's an accommodation that I recommend that parents talk to disability services about because there may be some professors who say, you can't record anything in my class. Mm so forget it it's not going to happen okay so if the child's using this particular recording pen to help take notes and the professor's saying no you can't do that in my class okay well what's the alternative the alternative is i need a note taker Right. so yes you can over accommodate but again richard it goes back to the student it's the student who's going to decide do i need these accommodations in this class and the reality is there are students who decide they're not going to use any accommodations, and the first semester grades come through, and right. the child's hanging on by a thread. That's just the reality of it.
0: Conversely, yeah. yeah. there are
1: some students who may say, you know what, the only real accommodation I'm going to need is extra time for finals and for midterms. And they have that accommodation, they utilize it, and they do well. Because, again, the goal is to level the playing field. A diagnosis right. should not determine failure in college. That just shouldn't be. It can't be.
2: Right. So the driving principle is leveling the playing field, and, Correct. and yeah, and and keeping that in mind. A, a couple more. Any more that you want to throw in? A couple more combinations.
1: It, in terms of oh, there's there's yeah. Like a other other list.
2: That you like to use. Yeah, a couple more that you like to use.
1: Let me think. I'm just trying to think of which are the ones that are are commonly used. It can be, as I mentioned, copies of the PowerPoints that the the professor may be using. It might be, you know, assistance, which doesn't happen very often in college, but let's say it's the, the type of a class where you're breaking into groups of four and you're going to be working on a project together. If the child or the student has executive function deficits, they're going to need some assistance in that regard because the other students in the group aren't going to know that your particular right. child can't plan or can't sequence or can't meet a deadline. You know, there are tools to help with meeting deadlines as well, some of them that could be used and are used by the student in his or her dorm or apartment. So it's really it's 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 requiring parents to take a step back and to objectively look at their child not just their strengths, but also their, their weaknesses or their deficits, and making some decisions along with the student in terms of what do we think you may, that's the critical word, may yeah. need in college in order to succeed. And the accommodations are there for you to use if you would like to, and if you choose not to, great. But if your grades right. come at the end of the semester and you've just failed out, we're going to have a conversation over the dinner table, that's for sure.
2: <laughs> because it may not, not be a, not a comfortable conversation,
1: right? Not like, a comfortable not one. <laughs> it may not mean that the child doesn't have the academic horsepower.
0: Because
2: right. the child
1: very well may have the academic horsepower, but it's all the other things. It's all the other things that are creating the those obstacles that are preventing the child from realizing success.
2: Deborah, this conversation has been packed, loaded with information. <laughs> Tell oh, us a thing, in, in 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 a one minute summary.
1: Oh my goodness!
2: <laughs> Pull it together. What oh, what no. you think? The... you know some of your top points. I mean, I, I heard early on. All kidding aside, transition. Get the transition plan as early. Let's let's go through a few of the points, and we're going to say our goodbyes. Um, a, a few of you want to transition plan in the IEP as early as possible. I heard that before
1: um and make sure that the transition goals let me just add because i know you're asking mm -hmm. me to summarize so i'll summarize as you go through points if that's okay Mm -hmm. make sure the transition plan iep goals are specific not general they have to be measurable that's the only way we're going to know whether those goals mean anything
2: right and um, some of the other top points um you know as as a, pull it together for us a few a few points to leave parents with as okay. you know
1: no i e p or five o four they're gone, right. so keep that in Good mind
2: second point, yep
1: your child needs to be reevaluated within two yep. to three years of transitioning into college and make certain that the clinician doing the evaluation and writing the report either has a single page attached to it or included in that report are the accommodations the student will likely need, may need in college. Really, really, really important.
2: So I better Third go back point. into my reports. I better go back and reread my reports. Oh, you're making me nervous with my reports. All right, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Believe me, I cl- I collaborate Keep
2: with places
1: all over the place yeah. and I'm very often yeah. saying, "Great report." You know, 35 pages, the parents' yeah. eyes are tearing because they can't understand it. Right. But you know what? There's nothing in here that talks about college and the child's planning yeah. to go to college. Yeah. So, kind of need to go back in and <sighs> fix that report.
2: Or are um, you going to send as a favor? You're going to send me the top accommodations that I can include in my report. Okay. So that's okay. Gonna I, will email do that. me I will that. Will All right. Go that. ahead. Keep um, going. Make
1: sure that the student signs the release forms in the appropriate offices, starting with Disability Services, going yep. to Student Services, and Student Services deals with things like dorm assignments and extracurricular activities, yep. and that sort of thing. The Bursar's office and the RA. And the reality is. The RA may say, oh, we don't, we don't have forms like that. So the parent can say, well, I need an ability to talk to you. So I'm going to go to the provost or I'm going to go to the dean or I'm going to go to whomever and say, I've created this release form. I'm giving it to my child's RA so that if there's an issue or if I need to check in or they need to check in with me, they can do it. And I guess the other one would be to remember Any accommodations that the child is granted through the Office of Disability Services, it's the child's decision whether to utilize them or not. So that takes some of the pressure off of parents thinking, oh, well, you know, he doesn't want this anymore or she doesn't want this anymore. Mm
0: -hmm. Once the student
1: knows it's up to them to decide, well, it makes it a little bit different. Of course, the the flip side of it is I can't tell you the numbers of parents who've said, you know, my child went halfway through the semester, didn't use any accommodations, now realizing that, you know, he or she is failing, can they give them the letter now? The answer is no.
0: Right. So they
1: have to be able to somewhat assess, yeah, I think in this environment I'll be okay, or I'm going to err on the side of caution. I'm going to use the accommodations that I need, and if I don't need them moving forward, then I can just say to the professor I don't need them anymore.
2: Great stuff. Can you tell people how to get a hold of you? Your website, all that, all that.
1: Absolutely, they can reach me directly through my private practice. Um, the website is com, D-E-B-R-A. The middle initial I. Schaefer is S-C-H-A-F. Is in Frank E-R. Com. Um, you can reach me at my private practice um, office number is four eight four eight eight seven. 8373. If you happen to be a parent working for a company or a corporation or you're an HR or benefits person, you can reach my company at www.education-navigation.com. And our office number is 610-628-4456. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share that, Richard. I appreciate it.
2: My pleasure, Deborah. You've been a great a great guest and you've given us tremendous food for thought. Now I'm going to, I'm going to go back into all my old reports. Like I said, and start <laughs> and, and, uh, doctoring them and you know, whatever. So you have to send me some good accommodations. Well, thank you very much.
0: My and folks, thank check out, um,
2: thanks. And check out um, the website. My website is uh, shutdownlearner.com. down www. W. Dot shutdown learner dot com. That's all one word in a sense. <laughs> and uh also the coffee clutch, ww.the that's uh the coffee k C O F F E E and then Clutch K L A T C H dot com, which is wh- who is hosting who hosting these interviews. Deborah, thank you very much. Take care of yourself, we'll be in touch, okay?
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much, Richard.
2: Thanks, Deborah. Take care, Bye-bye.
1: Mm-hmm. bye bye. Bye bye.